Welcome to Coming Clean, the podcast dedicated to common sense environmental dialogue, environmental optimism, and real environmental solutions. This show is proudly powered by Orsted. Welcome back to Coming Clean with your host, Benji Backer, and I am joined once again by my good friend, Lucy Biggers, to talk about some very important topics before a conversation that we're going to have next week with BlackRock and Brian Gitt about ESG. But before we have that conversation, there are a lot of important Well, basically, there's a lot of important movement right now around energy internationally and nationally. We're going to talk all about it, Lucy and I, and we're going to talk about kind of what the future of energy looks like, why it might be not what the climate folks want, uh, and also (laughs) probably not what the anti-climate folks want, which... Uh, Nobody's happy for those who (laughs) who listen to us repeatedly. But uh, Lucy, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. I, I love our little chit chats. Yes, and hopefully uh, others will too this week because I think it's really important that we talk about. Really, I, let's start out with that Washington Post article. I was on Fox News talking about it, and there was mm-hmm. a thread that I put together. Basically, it was a shocking article, in my opinion, not because of the reporter, who I think is an amazing reporter, actually, after digging into to his work, but more so that the Washington Post really had a flagship article that acknowledged that the energy transition is not going to be easy, that we're going to need more electricity and, and power generation, and that really environmental groups have been at odds with the ways that we've decarbonized hydropower, right. nuclear, and natural gas. I guess you took a look at that article. Maybe give some high-level insight as to what you thought was important from it and, and how it kind of applies to our situation right now, which is, right. you know, between Texas, California, Germany, we're, we're having a lot of important kind of decision uh, making points right now. Yeah, they did a great job with their graphics um, and, and interactive maps of breaking it down by state and looking at what the energy makeup uh, was for, for each state and how the most, you know, green states with the least carbon emissions, how they got there. Um, and I think the biggest takeaway is that the best uh, energy sources are definitely hydro and nuclear, um, and then f- followed closely behind by natural gas, which I think would sort of surprise people. But like the proportion of energy that's coming from wind and solar is still in most states super minuscule. And then obviously any state that has coal, it's going to have a higher uh, carbon intensity. So I thought it was great. I love to see a nuanced piece of journalism that's not just mm-hmm. like solar and wind and butterflies and can cotton candy. <laughs> like yeah, it was, it, it was really um, no cotton candy in this piece. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the best way to get your energy these days. Um, no, but I thought it was very nuanced, um, and it didn't really show. I thought it was kind of it was neutral in a way. Yeah. Like it wasn't pr- like prioritizing one form of energy over another because maybe the findings were so surprising. That like it was that basically nuclear was a big winner and then natural gas was surprising and then hydro and all those have mixed reputations with environmentalists. Exactly. And I think people were shocked, at at least those who read it. I think one of the biggest takeaways for me is that less than 10% of our energy is coming from solar and wind, Mm -hmm. even though we have put so much into it, attention, time, resources. And, you know, as I said, that doesn't mean that those aren't going to be important in the future. There's, you know, technological developments that could really, really help with that. I'm also a big proponent of offshore wind, and that's why mm-hmm. we partnered instead. Like, I think that there is real opportunity there. But there are some real shortcomings that I think people have this false assumption that because, like, California and New York and others have kind of mandated the clean energy mm-hmm. side of things, 
that that means that they just have transitioned to it and that it's been super easy and that you have 100% clean energy and the technology is not there yet. And so hydropower and nuclear have been carrying the water and that actually it's states that are very purple or conservative that have led the way because they kind of had to take this pragmatic approach instead of what sounds good. And when California is importing coal because their solar and wind doesn't work 24-7 that they've mandated, other states are using cleaner sources than that. So actually, California ends up having a bigger negative impact than it would if it would use nuclear or natural gas. And, And I guess when you saw this, like, I mean, it was a very, like, obviously, state by state, you could really kind of see it visually. Yeah. But what do you feel like it means? I mean, we're looking at Germany phasing out nuclear plants. We're looking at Ugh. California mandating a lot of this uh, this kind of just renewables and, and, and New York as well. You've lived in New York. What do you feel like this means for the conversation? Is it going to move forward in a, in a positive way? Are people going to see through this noise? Or right. are you... Like we're going to keep hitting these kind of lows. I, I think we it's going to move forward in a positive way because of what you said, which is that the purple states are the ones that are making the most headway. And I actually think the less politicized this can become because our politics, as we know, are a cuckoo. Um, yeah. The less we can make this a, a conservative versus liberal agenda and just make it practical and say, like, this is the best way to get energy. Is it more affordable? Is it cleaner? Also, that's great. Um, and we're seeing places, what, where was it? Georgia just opened the first nuclear power plant that's opened in the U.S. in like decades. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a red state. And it's like, great. I don't care where the solutions are coming from. I don't care who's enacting it. It doesn't have to be a blue action. We just need mm-hmm. to see pragmatic, uh, you know, fact-based, science-based approaches to all of this. And I think, so I think there's some really promising things in there. And I think when we get away from this sort of pie in the sky you know, thinking that solar and wind are going to save us all. And it's amazing. And the technology is already there. And like, that's a lot, how a lot of environmentalists talk. Let's get away from that and just go toward what's the technology that actually works that we can enact today. Um, Obviously we're going to need to see a lot more of it, but I mean, you can't look at this and not see that the future is nuclear. Like Mm -hmm. it just, it just is clearer and clearer. And I think what, like, at least I'm happy to see that people are acknowledging that. And I think it's not, a third rail issue. And I would say a few years ago, maybe when I was like way more like entrenched in the environmentalism movement and like in the social media climate activist world, I feel like saying you supported nuclear was like taboo, really taboo really but taboo. I don't think, and maybe I'm just now a old washed up mom. So I don't know what the kids are <laughs> thinking these days, but I don't think it's as taboo anymore. Like, I think I've seen a lot, like even like we can talk about the next story, which I think dovetails perfectly. It's that, um, Germany, like idiots sorry shut down their last six nuclear power plants or like their last nuclear power plants i think it was six the number doesn't matter they don't have any more they decommissioned them and i'm like what is going on here and and that it does speak to the problems that we're seeing in the united states too because it I mean, I actually just before we 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 got on this this Zoom call, I was looking at a tweet from one of the leaders of the transition in Germany. For those who don't know, they kind of mandated a while ago mm-hmm. that Germany was going to be 100% wind and solar Ugh. by a certain date and close nuclear, natural gas, coal. It obviously didn't work. They've been going back and forth through reopening coal plants, reopening right. nuclear plants, reopening all this stuff. But they blatantly said six years ago, this this one of the leaders of the transition, that their goal with this was not to create 
low energy prices. It was to create less demand for energy. And they blatantly said that. And so they're not actually trying to create low energy prices. But the, what so they say that and might, some yeah. people might understandably say, well, why, why does that matter? Well, why it matters is that energy prices are what make us go round. The reason that we're able to have this call right now is because <laughs> yeah. computers are charged by cheap power. If it was a right. hundred dollars to charge our computer for this call, we wouldn't be talking right mm. now. And mm-hmm. the fact that they are these uh, like rich elites don't care about the cost of energy should piss right. people off. The they don't get German, it because their power privileged. is scaling in terms of cost should scare people and, right. it, and it should make people worried because that's what makes our world go round. That's how we innovate. That's how we live. That's how we eat and breathe and, and drink and, and feed ourselves. So it's, it's a scary proposition that people are putting together these environmental policies in the name of the environment, but they are completely forgoing the cost of energy. Right. And they're shutting down these, these nuclear plants, which by the way, is harmful for the environment, but also increases energy costs. That's the it's absolute insane. worst combination that you could have. It's, it's these environmentalists that are sort of degrowth. They're like anti-human and they want to go back to nature. They don't want civilization. And I think where you and I really align. And I think where the movement needs to go is it needs, you need to be pro-human, pro-civilization and pro the environment and realizing that in things like energy costs and development, like of new energy products, projects, that's inevitable, right? We have a civilization, we have people who expect a certain quality of life and, and to see these like Western European countries that have always had the privilege of cheap energy, clean air, because they haven't had coal plants, you know, um, bring them, drop them down in any developing country in India and Africa. And I think their tune would be very, very different when they're having to, you know, cook over an open flame inside of a home or something like that. Like it's just so out of touch. And I feel like from my perspective and from our perspective, seeing it, you're like, are you insane? Like the fact that they would shut down these plants, it makes no sense. I think it's almost a bipartisan we should all agree. It's a bipartisan issue that we agree that, that this was really stupid, but they're so in their delusion of their fear of nuclear. And then I guess what you're saying is like, they don't even care. And they were like, yeah, we're gonna have to have coal for a little while. It's like, wait, what? Like, does anyone remember like literally like th- three weeks ago or whatever, when Greta was like, we literally talked about this when Greta was being carried <laughs> away from a coal plant. Reopening. Yeah. Yeah. It it's was reopening because, because of they're this. closing these nuclear plants. Like it, it, it it is all super backwards and and my fear is that we're we're going to have kind of a mass exodus in certain states that keep having their energy prices go right. up i mean it's not just going to be energy prices but you think about why people are leaving california and new york i mean right. i also saw a map last week of the positives and negatives of of population growth or, or the 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 growth or degrowth in states based on population over right. the last couple of years. And New York and California have had mass exoduses. Uh, Illinois, these are states that have mandated certain energy sources. Right. And the energy costs have gone up a lot. That's not why everyone's leaving, but it contributes to it. And people need to be able to afford to live their lives. And energy is a big part of that. And I'm scared that these states aren't learning from their mistakes, that mm-hmm. Germany is not learning from its mistakes. Germany's made this mistake over and over and over Insane. again, and it just keeps doing it. And you just wonder when people are going to say no more. Like, I can't I can't feed my family with energy prices that are triple the United States in Germany because we've shut down every reliable energy source. Like, and right. now we're importing everything from Russia. Like that, 
I mean, at some point it's got to break, but in the United States, it's in many of these, in many of our states, it's not, it's not, it's not at that breaking point. There's got to be that backlash. That's the pendulum has to swing. And I know because the company that I work for, the FP, they did a, a, an essay. Someone wrote about how nuclear shutting down the plants was so stupid and it helps basically by shutting down these plants over the last decade or however, however long it's taken. Germany has become more and more reliant on natural gas and oil from Russia. And right. so the argument for this article was basically saying, like, by phasing out these nuclear pants, plants, you have blood on your hands because you've been funding the Russian military that's now being super aggressive right. toward Ukraine and people have died. And like, basically, it's so irrational. And somebody <laughs> I posted on my Instagram and someone messaged me and they were like, well, you know that Russia actually funded the anti-nuclear movement in like the environmental groups and funded the fear of nuclear to make Germany more. So do you know about that? Cause I wasn't able to yeah, confirm. That's what? true. How did that they is, do that? Like they fund the greens, like the environmental group they, it, in parts of Europe, they do. And, and there are ties in the United States to it as well. Um, and they funnel it through kind of these, these organizations that are, um, it's kind of like a pass through organization or multiple organizations where they give money to a group and that group gives it to a bunch of big environmental NGOs right. in Europe and the United States. And so it's hard to figure out what amount or percentage, but so crazy. there's a, a very direct, um, there's a very direct connection there. That's not even a conspiracy. And obviously Russia is doing it because they benefit from Germany making these decisions. They benefit from even California right. making these decisions because mm -hmm. It makes it makes those countries weaker. It makes them right. less secure in so many ways, economically and national security wise. Uh, like there's I way just, more turmoil. Like there's people protesting. Russia's playing chess and we're playing checkers. Like right. it's so interesting. And then, and then it's weird because then like I feel like the environmental activists who volunteer for these groups or who consume this content, they're just become foot soldiers of that message and they, and they realize, have no idea right. they have no idea that what they're pushing and what they're supporting has this sort of nefarious ulterior motives and it's like taking advantage of the naivete and like the big hearts of people right. in the west who have grown up with these affluent lives so we don't understand the impacts of what you're saying in regards to like higher energy and not and like how that then impacts natural uh, national security god and so from a social crazy. justice impact, like it is true that environmental issues disproportionately impact people of lower income and right. traditionally people of color. That's like true. The answer to solving that then is not to raise people's energy prices. Right. Like that's also backwards. Like this is backwards on so many angles. And I think at least on the plus side, I'm starting to see stuff from the Washington Post. I'm starting to Times. see some Democrat, yet yeah, New York Times, some Democrat, you know, even AOC was was like oh, yeah. super against nuclear a few weeks ago in an Instagram story thread. Mm -hmm. Like it's starting to move in that direction, but I don't know if the American populace and the Gen Z millennials understand the complexity of it yet, which is why that article is so important and why I feel like that's what we need more of. Like we need to have more of these frank and honest conversations about the role of energy in our lives. Yeah. Not that everyone needs to know like where every energy or where their energy comes from for every you know, decision that they make, but right. we do need to care about it because it impacts literally every part of our lives. And Germany is seeing that right now. They're going to continue to because they've made these bad decisions. California is going to continue to because they made these bad decisions. And 
we have a duty as the future you know leaders and the current leaders of this country to demand better but also to make better choices and in our states and our communities to not allow these kind of blanket mandates these blanket you know things to go through even though they might sound really nice because yeah, they the make blanket you feel stuff good. doesn't work it doesn't work the lowest energy prices in the united states are in places where you have natural gas, coal, nuclear, or hydropower. Mm-hmm. The highest energy prices in the United States are coming from places that are trying to mandate their way into a cleaner future. And we've got to find some middle ground there. Mm-hmm. We need cleaner air. We need to reduce emissions. We need to be able to spend some money. You know, The government has been spending money. We need to be able to do those things. We also cannot just spend our way out of it or make consumers spend our way out of it. Right. Yeah. It's so, it's so complicated. It's not as simple as this like black and white thinking of we must lower emissions, like less emissions. Like, and that's how I used to think all the time. It was just like green energy, good, low emissions, good. And then like, obviously there's so many complexities. And frankly, if wind and solar were really that great, they would have already dominated the market. Like they have a lot of downsides. And so I mean, can figure out those downsides, they will dominate the market, but you can't force your way there. You can't force it. Energy is not energy is a marketplace driven commodity unless you're like Russia, where you dominate it just with just with natural gas or China, which is expanding everything. But they really rely on coal and they mandate that. So like Mm. but I think yeah, I see like cities and states always kind of announcing these. We are going to be 100 percent whatever by this date. Yeah. And I think we get out of that mindset. It's more like, okay, how are we going to keep energy costs low and start to reduce emissions. That's the, that's the magic combo. And there's no, there's, you can't promise your way into, to energy. You really can't. And it, it, we can't just be attached to this dream, these dreams. I did stories on that too, that were like, this city is going hundred percent renewable by X date. And I think they're like all of, <laughs> yep. you can't do it. You need to have coal and natural gas or nuclear, something that can always be on. And like the sun sets, the wind doesn't blow. In case you guys didn't know, there's that's a science education for you. Maybe we could create a technology that creates the sun to be shining 24 hours a day. Genius. And <laughs> I mean, I think I think what people what people need to understand is that the, like the transition, even if solar and wind are going to dominate a bigger share of the market, it's going to take time. And you can't just like say, okay, it's two percent solar this year, which is what it is. Yeah. And it's going to be 10% next year. And it's going to be 20% the next year. Like it will happen on its own based on technological right. development. It will not happen from mandates and incentives are about as far as you could probably go. By the way, I was just reading an article about a, a farm in, I want to say Indiana. I should have a better memory before I bring something up, but anyway, in the Midwest and they're, they were fighting like 7 million, sorry, seven mile development of solar and this farm town was like no so like even then it's like everything has downsides and there's going to be pushback and like yes solar doesn't emit carbon on that farm you know there's not emissions on that farm now with solar panels there but there's carbon emissions that go into building those solar panels now that land use is now covered with metal and plastic and it's not a wild nature open space or whatever so like Everything has an environmental impact. And the more that we Basically, can come to the moral of the story that. is we need to make holistic decisions that think about all the impacts and we need to have reliable, affordable energy that is increasingly clean 
if we are going to move towards a brighter future <laughs> instead of a future that actually moves us backwards in the name of moving us forwards. And exactly. that's what we have to avoid. So before we go, um, as someone who's lived in New York for a while, um, and on the you know kind of the East Coast where a lot of these conversations are heating up, what would you say to a listener that's saying, okay, I understand what Lucy and Benji are saying. What can I do as like an individual to help kind of right this ship? Um, what are some ways that people can advocate for these kinds of ideas that would actually kind of make it dent? Oh my gosh, that's such a hard question. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you're the you're the one who like is the organizer and like about uh you know into that world more than me. I'm just some social media girl. Don't listen to me. But I would say, I mean, I think honestly, it starts with having conversations and like you know speaking out and and having conversations and asserting yourself and changing the hearts and minds of people around you. As as much as that's like a little act, I think nothing just happens in a vacuum, right? You, it all starts with these small conversations and, um, changing the norms and changing like what's considered, you know, common knowledge. Like we can always be changing what we think is popular. Um, so I don't know, but you, you, I'm reversing that. Uno well, let me just add that. Yeah, I mean, let me you're, add on to that by saying, you're I like think, the actual like, person who knows stuff. I'm like just along for the ride. Well, no, social media, I think to your like social media, don't undersell the importance of that. I think yeah. elected officials do pay attention to that. Companies do pay attention to that. Yeah. They are, especially like on Twitter or something where they're tagged. Like, obviously they're not going to like watch your private Instagram story, but like, right. Um, it, they they do care what people are saying. And right now the noise is all around these kind of mandates and like in these huge demands. I think the narrative matters in speaking out and and like tagging mm-hmm. companies that are moving in the wrong direction or or elected officials or right. the ones that are doing the right thing. I think we just we need more touch points with companies and elected officials, local and national, not just national, to really like whether that's on social media or going into their office or writing for your local newspaper right. or or sending an email, like they aren't hearing this narrative in their touch points with the right. companies right. or elected officials. And we actually do have a duty to do that. To, to and, I, and I believe that. And it takes between 30 seconds to send a tweet, mm-hmm. 20 minutes to go into your local person's office, maybe an hour to write, not bad. Like it can take uh, for your local newspaper, like it can take a, a range of time, but it doesn't have to take your entire life. And I think that's, they need to hear this narrative if if we're going to to move yeah. See, you you could have directed that question at yourself and answered it. I just am here. Well, maybe that was my intention. You know? <laughs> You're like, wait, <laughs> actually ask me a question. <laughs> Lucy, ask, I'm gonna ask, ask you me this what so you I can think. bounce it right back. <laughs> well, thanks for jumping on. I really appreciate your insights to it. And, and I think really just to 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 recap, I mean, you you've seen this evolve, you've evolved, I've evolved. I think right. we both have this mindset that. Like I wouldn't have even maybe even read that Washington Post article because I would have thought that it was like fake news. And really? Yeah, like years ago. Yeah. And wow. I've come around a lot to it as well. And I think hopefully the world is starting to become more pragmatic about this stuff mm-hmm. because we need to have this balance and and we both have come to that conclusion recently. And um hopefully others are too. Yeah, I love so thanks it. Thanks for being here to, to share that. Thanks for having me. It was fun. We'll have you back soon. And and next week, we'll be having that great conversation around ESG. So be sure to tune into that and the next episode of Coming Clean. 
And before we jump, the Coming Clean podcast is grateful to be powered by Orsted, a wonderful company strengthening America's energy security with reliable and domestic clean energy. Through its integrated renewable energy solutions, Orsted is creating American jobs, investing in American communities, and driving American innovation, all while preserving our country's natural habitats. A clean energy future truly connects us all, and Orsted is helping lead the charge. To learn more, visit us.orsted.com.